Hello, everyone. Ryan Rodriguez back on another episode of Cal Maritime Career Services Connecting Keelhaulers show. Today, we are joined by Max Rosenberg, a Emmy licensed grad from the class of 2013 and an MSTEM grad from the class of 2015. Max, uh, thanks for taking some time out of your day to speak with us a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, excited to do it. Um, and Max right now currently works as a port engineer for the Vane Brothers Company, and he's based out of Oakland but covering the whole state of California uh, position he's been with or been in since December of 2018. And prior to working with Vane brothers, Max has worked as a port engineer for both Harley Marine services and Alcatraz cruises. He worked in several roles with the GBS group and he sailed for eight years post-graduation with Crowley working his way all the way up to chief engineer. Um, and Max being that you kind of have an interesting path to, to end up at Cal Maritime and then go into your master's. Um, We'll start with you were a transfer from Cal Poly. So what led you to transfer to Cal Maritime as an undergrad? And then what led you to return for your master's degree? Yeah, so uh, I was a Sea Scout when I was young. So um, and that was like kind of my first real introduction to Maritime. And uh, that's how I learned about CMA, you know, folks in, in Scouts, you know, the obvious link between, you know, Maritime Scouting Program and Maritime University. So, um, and I actually applied to CMA when I was in high school. Um, but, I, and so I wanted to be an engineer. I kind of knew that, but I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. And um, I had applied to other schools, obviously, and, and uh, I uh, got into Cal Poly and got really excited about that. I mean, that's a, you know, pretty prestigious school. And, and so I was immediately like super excited about Cal Poly. And so I decided to go there and I kind of, you know, dropped other options and I went and, and it is, I, it's a great school. I'd argue maybe, you know, the second most hands-on engineering school in <laughs> California. And uh, um, so I, I really felt like I was getting a great education there, but um it was kind of like the longer I was there, obviously, you know, you know, old, you know, more senior students. And, uh, and the longer I was there, I knew more people that were graduating and going off and getting jobs. And, and a lot of them didn't sound like super interesting to me. And I was always trying to kind of find, you know, connections to sort of, you know, my maritime interests. And mm -hmm. so after a little while, I was like, you know, um, I had a lot of friends that were at CMA, um, uh, particularly on the deck side, but, but quite a few, you know, friends, um, from scouts who had gone into, uh, the CMA. And so I, you know, pursued a transfer and, uh, and decided that was kind of more my, you know, my career path. So, um, I looked into transferring and, uh, transferred up. I stuck with the same major. I was an ME at Cal Poly and an ME at CMA. But, uh, um, and, you know, in some ways it was, it was a pretty seamless transition, both being, um, you know, Cal States, but there's some, you know, obvious differences. So there was a little bit of challenge in, in transferring, but, um, uh, yeah, so I ended up finishing, finishing my undergrad at CMA and, uh, um, I think maybe, you know, I, ultimately my only regret about it was I, I probably should have just made that decision right out of high school because it uh -huh. was, it was the right place for me. So, and then as far as like the, you know, going back for the master's program, honestly, when, when I graduated from school, um, you know, undergrad, I really, 
I never saw myself going back to school. It, it didn't, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, it wasn't that I disliked school so much or anything like that. It just didn't, I, I didn't see that in my path. And uh, so I ended up, you know, I worked as, uh, you know, a chief engineer on tugs for about 10 years. Um, and then uh, I wanted to move into management. So I took a shoreside job as a port engineer. Um, that's when I started working for Alcatraz. And one of my coworkers, um, he was a bit younger than me, and he was he was actually just finishing his bachelor's degree, not at CMA, but um, and uh, he was also working as a manager and uh, thought the master's program sounded like a really good fit for him. Um, you know, it was management in maritime, which is what we were doing, and uh, so I, he kept talking it up, and I think honestly. I think he was trying to psych himself up for it, but in the process, you know, we worked together so much and we were always talking about it that he kind of got me excited about it. And ultimately we decided to, to, to do it together. And, uh, interestingly enough, he ended up not finishing. He, uh, he didn't stick with it, but, um, I really enjoyed it and I saw it through. So, um, it was hard work, uh, mm-hmm. especially while working full time, you know, trying to maintain a family life. Uh, by that point I was running a sea scout program and all these things take up a, you know, <laughs> yeah. a lot of your time, but, um, but it was really rewarding. And so, you know, and I think the thing about it, once I was in it was I found my motivations were really different than when I was an undergrad. And so, um, you know, I was really kind of like, nobody was putting pressure on me to succeed except mm-hmm. for me. And so, which is different. I mean, it definitely like, you know, when you're an undergrad, you're an adult, but you know, but you still got a lot of pressure from your parents <laughs> yeah. and, and things like that. When I was a graduate student, I mean, by that point, you know, I was well on in my career. I was an adult. I had a kid, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was for me. And, uh, um, so that's, it's, it's, it's different. And that was, you know, so it was, um, you know, it was kind of like, I was, I was sort of racing myself. That's gotcha. where my motivations were. So, but I enjoyed it for sure. Mm-hmm. Cool. I mean, and so then like, would you, cause you, you stay, you stayed in the same thing, but your, I guess maybe like priorities and interests did change a little bit and you could kind of see that when you went back to school and how it was um, a different mindset for you. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, by that point, you know, like when I was an undergrad, I was, you know, I was just looking to start my career. And, you know, Mm -hmm. by that point, I was kind of mid career, I was looking to grow my, you know, my management skills. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, you've got some different, different priorities, different goals. And, uh, you know, that really played into my motivations for seeing it through. And like I said, it's hard. It's, it's a lot of, you know, time management, if nothing else. Um, but, you know, so you, you have to really kind of make the choice that you want to do it. And, uh, but, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was rewarding. It was definitely fun to finish, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. As someone who took some time off and went and got my master's, I can kind of attest to the same thing where I, like, I didn't see myself going back. And then I did. And my motivations and how I went about it were different. But then it was nice to have it have it be done and, and not have that as, as well as everything else. Yeah, so, for sure. Um, so thinking about Crowley, you were there for eight years. Um, what were some this kind of long winded question, but how, what were some highlights at Crowley? Uh, how did you progress through the company um, and even like with your license and everything? what advice would you give to licensed engineers who are getting started in the industry? And then lastly, cause we do hear that with Crowley, were you a member of a union as well when you worked there? 
Yeah. So um, I work for, I actually work for a couple other tug companies real briefly right out of school, trying okay. to kind of like find my place. And then, you know, I ended up settling down at Crowley. Um, it ended up being a pretty good fit, you know, for a while. And uh, um, so, you know, I, I can't speak from like experience on like all parts of the industry, mm-hmm. but definitely in the, in the tugboat, you know, business, it can be a little tough getting started off as an engineer, just, you know, right, right out of school or, um, cause, uh, you know, at that point I kind of had a, had a good education, but not a lot of experience. Yep. And so, um, you know, I didn't really want to get a job as a deckhand or, or something, you know, I wanted to be an engineer, but, um, you know, there's only one engineer on most tugboats. And so companies really kind of expect you to be able to hold your own. Um, and so, um, you know, one thing I can say applies, you know, kind of industry-wide is sometimes proving yourself means taking a more junior position to get your foot in the door. And so, you know, whether that means, you know, taking a QMED job, taking an AB job, a deckhand job, you know, can be a a way to get somewhere good until you kind of have a resume you can stand on. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, at Crowley, uh, essentially I was a chief engineer the day I started and I was chief engineer the day I left because the, you know, the positions are, you know, from a regulatory standpoint on license, but, you know, I was able to, you know, learn a lot, grow, become, you know, a better engineer over time. And, um, you know, obviously more trusted in the company and, um, you know, and I was able to grow my license, you know, most, um, you know, not to get like too license technical, but, you know, from a, um, you know, licensing perspective, anything over 4,000 horsepower is considered unlimited horsepower. Most of the boats I sailed on were, you know, at or, you know, were, were sort of about that or more. And so, you know, I could continue to grow my license, even my unlimited horsepower license. So, you know, ultimately when I left, um, you know, when I left Crowley, I, I hold a, a chief limited, which I guess they've kind of changed the name on slightly, but what, what we used to call a chief limited oceans. So it's a, a, a chief engineer's license for vessels under 1600 tons and then um, a, a first assistant unlimited. So, you know, I could grow that much, um, you know, ultimately they cap you there unless you sail on, on bigger tonnage vessels as far as getting a chief's unlimited. So I've never, never attained that, but, um, you know, uh, looking back, I think, you know, the most important things I, I learned in college was like how to learn. And so, you know, in, in, uh, in all the time I was there, it's like, that's, you know, that's kind of what carried me and helped me grow is like, there's, you know, there's a lot of things that are going to change. Um, you know, not everything you need to know throughout your career, you're going to learn at CMA and been, you know, four years. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the best I, advice I can, I can give is just try and learn something new, you know, all the time. And so for me, when I was working on boats, that meant, you know, soaking up anything I could, you know, whenever I had an opportunity. So, so a lot of times that's working with vendors, you know, like I said, you know, I was, you know, I was usually the only engineer on the boat. So everybody on the boat kind of has a different role and, and it's not quite the same as working on a ship where, where you're in a a team of engineers and you're, you're 
kind of surrounded by guys with some more experience. So, you know, for me, my guys with more experience was anytime, you know, we, we brought vendors on board to work on our equipment, you know, I'd be really like, you know, I'd always be there, not, you know, not just like, you know, Hey, okay, cool. The vendors here, I can go hit the rack. You know, it's Uh like trying to really take advantage of, of learning anything you can. And, and from other engineers, you know, we had, you know, opportunities where, you know, either I was training somebody new, or maybe I was training on a new class of boat, you know, even if you're with guys that have more or less experience from you, you know, everybody's got something, you can learn something from everybody. And so, you know, I would learn just even a little trick that made my days go faster Mm -hmm. from a different guy. Um, You know, so that was, that was kind of like, you know, how I progressed. Like I said, I mean, I kind of held the same position the whole time I was there working on the boats. Um, as far as the union question, um, I, I was in a union while I was with Crowley, I was in the IBU, that's the Inland Boatman's Union. Um, uh, I enjoyed being part of the union. Um, I like organization and, and so not, no pun intended, not like, you know, but I, I like, you know, I kind of like things to be kind of clear cut. And so one of the things mm-hmm. I liked about being in the union was like our work rules and stuff were reasonably well-defined because we had, you know, a collective bargaining agreement that said, you know, you know, these are going to be your schedules and this is going to be your pay. And so, you know, when you came to work, it was pretty clear what, you know, what your schedule was, you know, how you were going to get paid and, and, you know, things like that. So that aspect, I, I really enjoyed. Um, as a manager, I've worked for both union and non-union companies. I'd say more non-union, but some of that was because of the, the type of work. Um, but, uh, you know, so my perspective on unions have changed a little bit. Um, I believe pretty strongly that companies should treat their employees fairly. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, they should be honest, you know, about those things, like I mentioned before, how you're going to, you know, what are your work rules? What, you know, is your schedule going to be like, how you're going to get paid. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I think companies should treat their employees that way. If nothing else, it's good business. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, treating, treating people well is how you're going to maintain your workforce. Yep. And so, um, but really I think it's about treating people with respect. And, and so that's important to me. Um, you know, everybody deserves that. So unions brought about fair work rules. I mean, if you go way back in history, I mean, I'm not a union history buff, but, uh-huh. but I mean, we kind of all know, you know, the weekend that, you know, all through the labor you know, all movement, these, all that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that came about because of unions. So I think that there's some important history there, um, you know, and CBAs, you know, keep people honest, you know, when, when someone's back is against the wall and, you know, they're trying to make something happen, you know, having a set of work rules, you know, dictates how things are going to go. That said, you know, I don't think that unions should be able to control business practices. And, you know, I've seen some union environments that created pretty tenuous relationships between management and labor. And, um, you know, so that can make, you know, sort of for just, you know, generally, kind of like, I mean, that makes everybody's job not fun. I mean, Mm -hmm. everybody wants, you know, so, um, you know, in general, though, you know, I think companies that treat their employees very poorly, you know, have a way of finding themselves without employees. So I'm not sure that, you know, especially, you know, here in California, where we have pretty aggressive labor laws, that that a union to have those things is a necessity. But, um, but I do think, 
you know, people should be treated fairly. Mm-hmm. No doubt. No doubt. Um, so then just starting to move a little bit of your transition, you already kind of touched on what, how, what made you start transit trans, want to transition out from working with Crowley to doing more of the port engineering, uh, stuff that you do now. So, yeah. So like I had mentioned already, you know, um, on, on tugs, the, where, you know, the way I was working, um, you know, most of the, the boats are, are carry one engineer. So you kind of, there's not a, 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 like a sort of a hierarchy to kind of move up through. And so um, there weren't a lot of, imp- uh, there weren't a lot of opportunities for me to kind of grow shipboard. And so, um, you know, it turns out I, I had just gone through a major shipyard period um, we had taken the, the boat that I worked on. We had gone through like a six week, uh, shipyard period and I had been kind of working a different pace and more, you know, going home every night rather than living on the boat and things mm-hmm. like that. And so, um, I kind of enjoyed the, the change of pace. And then, uh, um, simultaneously, uh, actually a former classmate of mine from CMA, uh, reached out to me and asked me if I'd be interested in being a port engineer. And, uh, so I made the change and, and I've been shoreside ever since it, uh, you know, it was just, it was kind of a way for me to, to grow into sort of the next part of my career where I felt like, you know, it, it working on the boats, you know, wasn't, wasn't a bad way to be by any means, but it mm-hmm. was, it just, uh, there wasn't a lot of growth opportunity for me there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so then since leaving Crowley, you've kind of bounced around to, to some different companies that we mentioned earlier. Um, How did you decide when it was time for a change, you know, employer wise, or even, um, I know you went for, you were doing some like project management type stuff with GBS. Um, how, and then how'd you make decisions as you started to receive offers? You know, we talk about that a lot. Seniors come in and like, okay, I got a couple competing offers or something. How do I decide? So how'd you decide to tra- change when you want to change companies and then competing offers and things of that nature? Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned, I kind of like bounce, I've, I've definitely bounced around a little bit. I don't necessarily recommend like bouncing around. I mean, it's not, you don't uh-huh. have to do it, to, you know, yeah. to have a successful career. Uh, for me, you know, I mean, I have few regrets about the changes I've made. Um, so I think it worked well for me. Um, you know, uh, in contrast, like my wife, who's also in maritime, um, she's been with the same company for 20 years or um, just, just about, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and she's really happy. Um, you know, f- for me, I usually start kind of looking around when I feel like I'm kind of stagnating, you know, I, I like to grow and I like, you know, new challenges and, uh, you know, that could be like, you know, through opportunities for promotion or raises, but kind of more importantly, it's like, you know, about taking on new challenges. So if, you know, if I feel like I don't see a lot of opportunities, you know, for myself to move into something new and, and, you know, I don't like to do kind of the same thing forever. And so, um, you know, if, if, uh, you know, they, they say though, that, I mean, the best time to look for a job is, is like when you have a job. Right. So I, I never, I've, you know, I've never left a job without something that I was kind of excited about, you know, looking at some new opportunity. And so that's kind of how, how I've always decided. Um, admittedly, you know, you, you ask about competing opportunities. I'm not sure that at any, at any time I had like, you know, multiple opportunities mm-hmm. sitting in front of me. Although, I mean, I guess you could say I, I've had new opportunities and then the opportunity to stay where I was. And so okay. kind of the way I've made the decision, I mean, one is, I, I mean, 
you know, the little things that you have, that you do, unfortunately have to think about is, is money, you know, so mm-hmm. I've always yep. looked about whether there were opportunities, you know, for raises, but I think, you know, more like I mentioned, it was about, you know, looking at opportunities that kind of excited me. Um, so, you know, um, when, like, when I made the switch to, to GBS, I mean, that was a real um, big change for me. It was, you know, while going from tugs to ferries, um, was still really kind of like sort of in the same wheelhouse, uh, although it was a different kind of subset of the small workboat, you know, mm-hmm. industry. GBS was was a big change because I went into more, you know, government contract project management, which was really like removed me from working around boats, you know, which was where kind of my roots were. Yeah. Um, but the opportunity kind of excited me, like the 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 jobs, you know, to to kind of grow. Um, by that point, I had just finished my my master's. And so it was kind of an opportunity to sort of take what I had learned in that program and and really like apply it to a to a career path. So um, you know, I guess that's that's kind of to to sum it up. That's kind of how I decided is I've got to look for something that that kind of gets me excited about work again. And if I see that opportunity, you know, I might make a move. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. So then, um, talk a little bit about like maybe some of the differences between the companies that you have worked for. Um, and maybe it's company differences. Maybe it's uh, differences between port engineering and the project management stuff you did at GBS. Um, just a little bit more in depth because we inevitably get questions kind of like about those and like deciding between things on that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, we've kind of, you definitely summarized my career to this point. You know, I've, I've worked as a port engineer for three different companies throughout, um, you know, one was a ferry service and two were tugboat companies. So, you know, all, you know, were similar roles, but obviously with their differences, So in general, like to kind of summarize what I do, I oversee maintenance and repair of equipment and and maintenance of of regulatory compliance. So, you know, things like inspections and surveys with, with, you know, Coast Guard and ABS. And so in some sense, with all three of the companies that I've worked as a port engineer, that's what I've done. Um, You know, the differences, obviously, you know, I think the difference between like what is a ferry boat and what is a, a tugboat are, are kind of obvious, but mm-hmm. um, the, the kind of scope of work, you know, at Alcatraz, we really had predictable downtime in the evenings, but like none during the day, you know, our boats had to go back and forth. Um, you know, they were on a contract that we would run back and forth, you know, reliably. And so our opportunities for maintenance were in the evening, but they were pretty predictable. Like we knew every night our boats, you know, stopped running. Um, you know, when I worked at, at Starlight, um, you know, which was part of Harley, um, I had, uh, you know, the vessel schedule was like much more sporadic. So you're trying to fit maintenance in, in between jobs that you don't always know when they're going to be. Um, you know, and, uh, uh, another contrast was like at, at Alcatraz, I had a fleet of mechanics that worked for me, but no shipboard engineers. So we didn't have guys on the boats. I had mechanics that were kind of, you know, at the ready to do maintenance when the vessels came in, um, at Starlight, I kind of had both, you know, we had full-time engineers working on the boats. So you had guys that were always kind of watching after the boats and they were kind of, you know, it was their job to sort of do the same thing I was doing. I was just kind of there to make sure it was getting done and oversee it. And then I also had a small shore side team. So, you know, if you have a boat coming 
come in and you've got a, a short window to get some maintenance done that you know you need to get done, I kind of have an attack team where I could throw a couple extra guys at it. And the nice thing about having that in-house team, you know, versus using all vendors is you can be pretty adaptable. So I've got a couple guys I can throw at a job for a couple hours, pull them off, move to something else. And we're a little more seamless than calling in, you know, vendors, which is, you know, how a lot of work boat, you know, maintenance gets done is by, by bringing in outside vendors because, um, you know, we can't specialize in everything and, and we have a limited staff, but, um, Vane has been, you know, similar, um, you know, with some unique challenges, I think, uh, I cover a much larger geographic area. So like for Vane, I'm the port engineer for all of California, which really means, I mean, you know, obviously we don't do a whole lot of work in the central Valley, but, um, you know, all of California means covering, you know, the San Francisco Bay area and the LA Long Beach area. And so, um, it means my equipment is pretty spread out. Um, at any given time, I'm, you know, 400 miles away from half of my equipment. And, uh, um, so I've had to learn how to work, you know, a little more remotely. Again, I got, you know, I have full-time engineers on, on a lot of my equipment, although we have, we have a lot of barges, where we don't carry engineers, we have tankermen who, you know, are good at performing maintenance, but um, you've got to learn how to, how to kind of use, use the, the, the people that work with you, you know, to the best of their ability and then, you know, um, sub in with, with vendors. And then uh, the other challenge at Vane was, you know, Vane is a, uh, Vane's an old company. We've been around a long time. Uh, longtime East Coast company, but uh, I joined the company when when they decided to uh, to move out west. And so, you know, at least locally, you know, we started from the ground up. So um, I that was the first time I had really joined a company where we didn't have a lot of infrastructure in place. Um, in fact, by the time I joined the company, we didn't even have an office in California. So um, it, it was kind of interesting as a, as a port engineer. Normally, I wouldn't expect this to be my job, but one of my first tasks was go find yourself an office. So, <laughs> so we, uh, you know, I learned how to lease commercial property and, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we've had to deal with, you know, finding, um, you know, finding berths for our equipment and things like that, that we didn't really have established already. So that's been really interesting. Um, cool. Working with GBS was like way different though, totally different kind Mm -hmm. of uh, of work. Um, I actually got into it through a vendor of mine um, uh, who, who ended up working at GBS and ended up kind of pulling me in there. And uh, um, I was a project manager doing like um, alteration projects, primarily for MSC. So while my division was still, um, you know, it was still very maritime. It was, you know, we were maritime focused, but it was definitely like a different type of maritime. We weren't a vessel owner operator. And so, um, you know, it was really interesting work. I got to work with some really great, smart people and, um, you know, but we weren't really a maritime company. So that, that made it, you know, definitely a different kind of path for me. Um, you know, I really got to grow more comfortable with a lot of my like electrical engineering and controls and project management skills. And like I mentioned, I got to use a lot of the skills that I picked up in, in my master's program. So, um, you know, so that was really cool. Um, it was also like a, my job was a lot more customer facing, which I really enjoyed. Um, you know, most of what I do, 
you know, in the tugboat industry is, is not interfacing with customers at all. Whereas a project manager, I was interfacing directly with our customers and, and, you know, it was really my job to, to bring my engineering team's work to our customer and demonstrate it, um, you know, in preparation for installing projects. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, I, I'd actually, that's, uh, it was a really great company. I can't say enough good about them. Uh, everybody there was awesome to work with. Unfortunately, I was working remotely. Um, the company is based in Virginia Beach. So I was living in California and technically my office was in Virginia Beach. So I was traveling a lot and the, the volume of travel just got to be a bit, bit much. And so, you know, cause I was traveling even just to sort of regular be in the office, the commute mm-hmm. was, you know, 2,500 miles. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so that kind of wore me down and that's ultimately kind of why I, I left there. It was, it was, uh, hard to stay engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, uh, you know, that was a really interesting opportunity and, and, and fun to do. And I saw a couple projects through there. Cool. Cool. So then, and you kind of, I mean, touched a little bit on it, but thinking specifically with your master's and, and your balancing work in school, how'd you go about that? And you mentioned, I mean, you're doing Sea Scouts, you had a family, had, had a lot of responsibilities. Uh, how just, how'd you kind of go about that and, and kind of keep yourself sane through the whole process? Yeah, I think actually the, the, the work school balance was probably actually the easiest part. Um, cause you know, I, it was, you know, it was things that were sort of scheduled, right? So mm-hmm. I would work during the day, you know, I'd go to work, I'd get my work done, you know, try and get out of there at a reasonable hour. And, uh, and then I'd come home and I'd, you know, I'd work on my schoolwork during the evenings. Um, I think it's everything else that's hard to balance because, you know, those things are going to be your priorities at that point. And so obviously I got to go to work to pay the bills and, and, uh, and I've got to, you know, do school if I want to finish. Um, but, you know, I used to tell people while I was doing it, that family time meant doing schoolwork in the same room as my family doing other things. So, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely hard. Um, you know, I think the most important thing to, to doing that was, was, you know, keeping my time organized. So, to be motivated and to set aside time for school and stay focused on it. The more I could focus on my schoolwork when I was doing it, man, I could get it done in a reasonable amount of time and then, you know, move on to my other things in life. So, you know, it, it sounds simple, but I'm not going to lie. It, it was hard, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and a couple of times I've actually thought about pursuing other educational opportunities. And, and I think back and, you know, about, you know, how difficult it was. And sometimes that really kind of gives me pause about doing it again. um, You know, it was rewarding and that's Uh what makes me, you know, interested in doing it again, but it is tough. I think that was probably the hardest aspect was, was the time balance. And so, you know, it was just staying, kind of staying on task with everything you were doing. And so maybe that was like the, the, the last subject that that's not actually in the curriculum is, is, you know, I learned a lot of time management. Mm -hmm. Nice. Nice. Um, so then through, through your various roles as an engineer, um, you know, going back from when you graduated till now, what, do, what are some skills that have endured? And then what are some skills that you've had to pick up along the way, whether it's due to your new role or new technology or new practices within the industry and stuff? Yeah, I mean, I'd say like a lot of stuff all the time, you know, um, you know, the type of engineering that I, I really do is like keeping stuff working and fixing it when it doesn't. So, um, you know, but very few 
things that I work on are like, just like the things that we learned on in school. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, and I'm responsible for a pretty varied collection of equipment. So it's hard to be an expert on everything, you Mm -hmm. know? And so in, in some ways, like some of the very first things that I, I learned in school are probably the most important skills I have. So that's like, you know, if you go back to like, you know, freshman engineering at CMA, it's like learning how to trace systems and reading a manual and interpreting a drawing. And they seem like the basics. And, you know, at the time, I probably didn't value them as much as I should have. But, um, you know, I think all those things will take you a long way to understanding like how a piece of equipment um you know, that you've never looked at, you know, is supposed to work. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've encountered all kinds of things throughout my career, you know, that, that were, you know, not things I, I learned about when I was in school, but I can kind of apply those, those basic skills, those fundamental skills to, um, you know, to everything I encounter. So like, I mean, a good example, I think, you know, from my career is, is like, um, you know, I've become proficient at like a lot of things that I didn't focus on in school, but I think that electronics and controls is probably the biggest, like, honestly, I've got, you know, friends now that are teaching at, at CMA and they're talking about, you know, classes they teach. And I'm like, did we take that when we were there? I'm like, I don't remember <laughs> that. And like controls and, and stuff is, is probably one of those. And I'm like, that was definitely not my focus. You know, mm-hmm. when I got out of school, I think I really fancied myself more of a like mechanical and, and engines guy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, but then later when I worked at Alcatraz, um, and then when I worked at GBS, you know, I've worked with a lot of like, uh, power electronics and control systems and things that were not my specialty. But, you know, again, I was kind of like able to learn that stuff because I kind of applied these sort of fundamental skills. Um, you know, I think I, I kind of hate to admit it, but maybe some of my best engineering classes were English classes because uh, I, I think people don't realize like how much in engineering you spend like with reading and writing. I mean, just being able to read a manual for comprehension and, and, you know, guys that are experts in that wrote that manual. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, you can kind of become an overnight expert in a piece of equipment. So that's, that's kind of what I'd say. I know that's like beating around the bush a little around your question, but you know, without any real specifics, but it's like a lot of things. I mean, Mm -hmm. nothing, depending on exactly what you do, you know, for work, I mean, everything's going to change on you. I mean, uh, you know, technology moves pretty quickly and you're definitely not going to work on the same things day one in your career that you do say, you know, 10 years, 20 years. And so it's just a matter of, you know, being prepared to continually learn about new stuff. And so, you know, reading, reading's Mm -hmm. a good skill. (laughs) Cool, cool. And actually, you you kind of provide a perfect segue to the next question because it was going to be beyond your academic major. Um, what would what advice would you give or recommend to cadets that would make them attractive to employers for for jobs and internships? And like, I mean, I'm hearing reading, attention to detail. Um, earlier, you mentioned like being a just a willing learner. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I'd say like, I mean, all everything I would say is going to sound like really obvious, but I think it's it's important to keep it like, you know, keep it in mind. I mean, I'd say the biggest thing is like, you know, 
when, when you're somebody's employee and like, we all are right. Like I have, I have employees and I have bosses and, and uh, be a benefit, you know, try and be somebody that's a benefit to the, to the team, um, you know, to whatever organization you're in, um, you know, try and make your boss's life easier, you know, whether that means being available or, you know, preventing, you know, presenting solutions instead of problems, you know, I mean, my best engineers, guys that work for me are the guys that call me and tell me about a problem they just fixed rather than a problem, you know, that, that they want me to fix. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that, that kind of thing is like, you know, and that it sounds really obvious, but just, you know, being a benefit to the, to the team, um, you know, keeping that in mind that, you know, that that's what you're there to do. Um, especially when you're getting started, I'd say be flexible, you know, that means, you know, um, you know, when, when you're young and starting out, you know, it might mean taking different roles, you know, at times or, or different schedules, but, you know, kind of being flexible, um, you know, that's how you're going to, you, you know, you're going to advance well. And then I'd say also, you know, be confident, but don't be cocky. Um, there is a difference and it, and it tends to like, it tends to come, come across pretty loudly in interviews. Um, you know, I've throughout different aspects of my career, I mean, I've been a hiring manager, you know, I've been responsible for interviewing people and like, you know, somebody who sounds like they know what they're talking about, but doesn't have to like tell you over and over again that, you know, you know, those, those have always, you know, turned out to be my best guys. You know, I want guys that know, you know, that aren't afraid to dig into things, but, but are also aware that they may not know everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then I would just say like, you know, above all else, you know, always, always be investing in yourself, you know, make sure you're always getting better at what you do. And, you know, that goes back to that, you know, just, you know, trying to trying to soak up everything you can throughout, throughout your, you know, I like, I like knowing something new every day. Cool. Cool. Um, I guess that probably might answer the next question of a bottom line tip that you can give to, uh, two cadets about their career development but anything to add to that um great answer i don't know that i mean that would be my bottom line Uh, keep learning yep you know keep keep in mind that you know your time at cma is is like four years of your life you've got a long ways to go and you know keep keep learning all the time and you know i don't know that's that's kind of what excites me is is Mm -hmm. opportunities to know know something new every day and and you know learn a new way to do something something like that yeah Cool. Well, that that's all the questions I have. Any closing thoughts you want to offer? Um, last last minute advice for for any cadets listening? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that was that was a lot. You did. No, yeah, you're you're really in depth and and I think touched on um, a lot of different things. I like what you said about sometimes the, the obvious things that you wanted to reiterate is like we think it's obvious, but like we do got to remember those obvious things do do yeah, matter for sure. sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, Max. Definitely. Again, thanks for taking some time out of your day to uh, to chat with us for a little bit. Um, anybody, if you want to get in contact with Max, we'll uh, link his email, um, and you can you know shoot him a shoot him an email there and ask him any other questions or and things you might want to learn. But again, thank you very much, Max. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yep.